0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: It's hard when it's your kid that parents are weary of because oh, I don't know what if they have, what if they have an episode? Yep. There's all of these things that are created isolation modes, if you will, where people are there are opportunities more and more opportunities for isolation when people are not extending that compassion.
2: The heartfelt words of a mother and a wife who is navigating her world with several mental health challenges facing her family. With God on her side, she finds hope among the many obstacles along the way. And this is her story. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was Derek. He was a golden boy. All we can do right now come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. This is Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. My name is Steve Johnson, director of Five Stone Media, a co-sponsor of this program, and our goal, as always, is to use story to bring hope and healing. And now let's join the conversation with... Pastor Paul. So glad you're with us on Life Support. What we do here is we tell stories
0: to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus through suffering and trauma. And we've got a lady with us that has an amazing story. Her name is Cherry Monge, and she is the Administrative Director at Bethel Christian Fellowship here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Cherry, thanks for returning. We are so, good. so glad to see you Thank you. And you were talking to me last time about uh, your son, who uh, was in uh, quite an accident when he was very, very young. Why don't you just do a quick recap of, of what exactly happened?
1: So uh, we were camping as a family of four. Um, my older son was four at the time, or nearly four. And my young son was uh, nearly two years old. We were sitting around the campfire roasting s'mores, um and he tripped, the, the young one, tripped and fell backwards into the active campfire and was burned on 20% of his body, second and third degree burns that required um, a year long uh, treatments and hospitalization and um, all kinds of things like that that changed our world. And uh, as a result, we have dealt for several years with PTSD as a family.
0: And that's been a large part of the journey that you've been on now since that time. And you were talking a lot last time about what it's like in the church. And do you feel like mental illness is still taboo to talk about in churches?
1: I think that we're making progress in speaking about it, even with uh, programs like this. Uh, But I do believe that there is a taboo related to it, that somehow we... Still think that mental illness shouldn't be uh, talked about in in with spiritual things, which is where I think we're at i don 't think that 's where we should be.
0: why do you think we are there?
1: I think with many things um, we the church is lagging behind where society is and society itself has only begun to speak about children and mental illness in the last <clears throat> few decades and the church just lags behind that and i think that we we don't know a lot about it and it's something that we are perhaps even scared to talk about somehow that we can talk about physical healing, but we can't talk about mental healing and mental illness, and I think that it's it's difficult for the church to even acknowledge something that is ongoing that may not have a uh, resolution to it, where in this case, my son struggles with acute anxiety and um, PTSD, <clears throat> excuse me, and I struggle with uh, anxiety as well, and PTSD. And those aren't things that are readily resolvable. And in the church, I think we like some things that are readily resolvable.
0: Well, we do, and that's the way we are as human beings, because if we can fix someone else, then our world returns to normal as well. But there is that pressure, isn't there, to get over it. And how many times you know, have we heard or felt even— um, why are you still struggling with this it It happened a long time ago like move on
1: right and that's one of the things that was difficult for us in that my son has scars he healed um, and and he looks like he should just carry on and get back to a normal, if you will. And the the PTSD and the acute anxiety didn't show up for several years later. This happened when he was nearly two. We saw the first signs that there was uh, potential mental illness going on when he was in the second grade. And you would think, oh, how does that all that, that happened a long time ago. That yeah. shouldn't be an effect. But it is. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's hard to understand. When it started to manifest in our family, we had a difficult time understanding what was happening, that this was mental illness that was manifesting versus a behavioral problem or a parenting problem or a, a personality or a, a learning disability. All of w- we didn't know. And so that created this. Uh, feeling of we're in this by ourselves trying to figure this out and we're getting information from a a number of different professionals but we still don't have a way to communicate this to our community and our close friends and family in a way that is understandable and in a way that that uh, elicits the the compassion and Mm -hmm. the togetherness that we needed and we still need um, as, as a family.
0: And it's heartbreaking to walk through this with your child. Yes. And uh, I, I watch one of my children that struggles probably more with PTSD. And by the way, uh, I would stop and just say that PTSD is real. Mm-hmm. We've had numerous experts on this program uh, talk about PTSD and the effects of these things. So we're not just making a crutch up here. We're not finding excuses, this is a real thing. And it's heartbreaking to go through this with your child mm-hmm. because you watch them be isolated. You watch them struggle with friendships. Yes. You watch other kids bully them because they're not n- normal. It's really hard. And then the, add on to that, nobody really understands because how many people, like in our situation, you know, Wendy and I found ourselves... In a in a homicide victim support group who did, who goes through that and so you look around and there's no one to talk to about that
1: right at right. the
0: church I mean yeah, there's not many kids who have been you know their brothers have been murdered so it's it's very hard yes and and so please please look at the people that you're next to in church mm-hmm. don't just assume everything's going okay. If there's an issue in their marriage, if there's an issue with their kids, dig deeper. Don't just assume. And I think that some of that loneliness and isolation could be at least alleviated or mitigated.
1: I agree. If, if, you, if that person in the pew is hurting, just the, the, your presence and your, your interest in the situation and how can I help, how can I support you, you don't have to understand it all. To be a good listener, you don't have to have the answers. Yep. To be a good listener,
0: or even agree,
1: or even agree, mm-hmm. but the lis- listening enables the person not to feel as isolated and alone. Yeah, and that isolation is—it's difficult when it's your kid that's not invited to the birthday party. It's hard when it's your kid that parents are weary of because oh I don't know what if they have what if they have an episode yep there's all of these things that are created isolation modes if you will where people are there are opportunities more and more opportunities for isolation when people are not extending that compassion
0: and that's very home. prevalent and I don't think anyone necessarily is doing anything wrong or trying to be exclusive and isolated child, mm-hmm. but they are acting out of what they know. Right. And they don't know. Right. And nobody's really taught them.
1: Right. And that's why I think it's important that the church is informed about trauma, is informed yeah. about mental illness, and has the knowledge and an a way to help people navigate that, not just the people that are hurting, but to help train uh, other members in the congregation to be a support to those who are experiencing trauma and isolation and uh, mental illness.
0: And then there there are the schools. And so um, you just kind of brushed by this a bit in our last time. Here we are now in the midst of COVID-19 kids are learning online they're they're starting to get back and so now you take a kid who struggles to focus or struggles to really assimilate information as it is now you expect them to be staring at a screen for six hours or sitting in school with a mask on and then they're going to act like every other kid and And, as a parent, I'm just saying, no, this you don't understand and and here's here's my big beef with our leaders and I pray for our leaders every day. I wouldn't want their job, they didn't ask for covid nineteen, but I will say that special needs children have been totally left out of this equation, absolutely a hundred percent disregarded. I this agree. does not work for them
1: I agree, I agree one hundred percent that what what happened they they've, they've lost their support mm-hmm. um going to school and having a support person there that helped them navigate their day helped helped in a variety of ways they've lost that completely parents have had to step in not only to help them in their learning of the material but also then managing everything else that comes with the special needs, everything else that And managing their expectations. Managing their expectations. Mm-hmm. And so we opted to um, really cut back, and we opted to, you know what, this is the best that can happen right now, and we can't do anything more, and we've communicated what we can and can't do to the school, and at the same time we're still getting truancy letters.
0: Yeah, um boy. and and that I think just we li- that do we compounds. live in the same home and do we have <laughs> the same child because boy does this sound familiar
1: <laughs> so it's it's difficult yeah. there's been no accommodations made for that
0: and and the and the other issue is you know when you call for help let's say for example you call a county helpline mm-hmm. the person that will come is likely a deputy or a law enforcement officer mm-hmm. now they're going to do the best they can and right. they're they're generally extremely nice they they know what to kind of look for but they're not experts in this and and so now you've got a law enforcement officer in your home who are trying to do the best they can but that's intimidating that throws the kids into another trauma just having the officer standing there but you look around as a parent and go why doesn't anybody understand this
1: exactly exactly i you know, you saying that just does make me think, are we in the same house? Yeah. Because yeah. we've had those law enforcement officers in our home um, trying to help de-escalate a situation or trying to help with school, and it, it creates more fear. It creates more anxiety, and, and they, they are using their same tactics that they do yeah. on a fully functioning adult on these children who are not fully functioning and their children and it becomes a vicious cycle where we need to call for help as the parents we need some help Mm -hmm. and at the same time we know that that help is going to cause more
2: trauma we'll be back to the conversation with Paul and Cherry in just a moment you know Pastor Paul is hosting this program from a unique perspective a survivor himself of family trauma losing a wife and a son and that's what life support is all about survivors in discussion with survivors my name is Steve Johnson executive director of five stone media and we are so pleased to be a co-sponsor of this program and for more about our work log on to life support resources org now back to Pastor Paul. And this is why, you know, um, the church should be a safe place, and
0: the church is so needed, and the body of Christ needs to step up, because, you know, there's not a lot of places for these families to turn. And my experience has been that the special needs children who have outward special needs, and are not at all underplaying the difficulties there either, that's a whole other set of problems. And right. I've got friends who Will have children at home for the rest of their lives, and yes. you know that's that's a whole another issue. But when you have a child who has a special need that's not easily seen, then that's where you run into all these things because no one knows what to do with them. And, and how many times have you gone to to your school, and you've got your team around you, the the, the so called experts, the the IEP experts, and they sit there and they they don't know what to do they're usually inexperienced. They don't deal with this very often. So guess who gets to take the lead? The parent again. Yes. Yes.
1: And I I will um, bend there, done that. Um, we have, we've moved different schools and we've found that some are better than others. And where he's currently at is fabulous. And we've had a couple of others along the way that have been fabulous. But again, it's for this short period of time. It's they're not dealing with it twenty four seven. And I know that the rule the rule in the school is no hoods. Here's an example. But my son needs that hood is his security. Mm-hmm. That hood is he's not trying to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to cause problems. He's not trying to be defiant. He's trying to stay contained. He is trying to keep himself as contained and safe as he possibly can. And so how do you how do you address that? Where's the accommodation for that? And where's the understanding of that?
0: I I fear that a good share of parents, professional educators, churchgoers, would rather have our kids just go away. Yeah,
1: just stay at home. At
0: least that's how it feels. Yes. And that's why it's important to learn these tools. And what Five Stone Media does is they're educating ministry workers and clergy about how to help and so we've been hard on people so far here but what can they do so when you're when you're in a church with your son and you're dealing with these issues how can ministers leaders other congregants help you
1: well one of the things that I had said previously is simply coming and asking, how can we support you? What do you need from us? And then adjusting some of the rules, if you will, to accommodate the need and while still making it safe for everyone else. But one thing that isn't helpful is to give a lot of space like you see us coming and you just give yeah. us lots of space. Yeah. We've had that happen where mm-hmm. we've walked in the door and people have turned the other way. They scatter. They scatter and mm-hmm. that's not helpful. That's not welcoming. And finding a way to include him and our family, every member of our family, um is is critical, I believe, in the church.
0: Yeah, if we value
1: people, if we see the image of God within them and we value them and they then we need to treat them with dignity, with honor and with genuine love just like Jesus would.
0: Yes and what happened to your family what happened to our family, what happens to many families there's no random accidents this is you know I don't understand God's secret sovereign will but I believe in the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And so somehow now these kids have something to offer that they wouldn't have had before. And if the body of Christ dismisses this and and wants them to conform, they're missing a lot because God now has rewired. PTSD rewires your brain. Mm -hmm. That's what I don't think Mm -hmm. people really understand. The child is not the same anymore. But God has made them different and new. And so how can we get to the place in a church where we can say, wow, I'm going to take this child who doesn't think like other children and what an asset that could be, but boy, it takes a mature leader to really get there. It's hard. And I I know it's hard.
1: Right. And it's just that it takes maturity and understanding to be able to do that, to be able to see my, my son, who's now 17, um, he has incredible wisdom and an incredible intuitiveness about him. Like he can read people and he can know things and he has a compassion. And my other son who observed the accident, I, I've only talked about the one, but my other one mm-hmm. as well, he he experienced as, as a witness, he experienced his own trauma and has his own issues of anxiety to deal with. And yet and and he has other issues that manifest in a way that that scatter the crowd as well. Mm-hmm. And both of these guys have such a loving heart where they can see things and minister deeply. Mm-hmm. But when people scatter, mm-hmm. there's not the opportunity.
0: And I think kids are smarter than we give them credit for. In other words, if a if a youth pastor is is giving um a child like ours um, you know, a, a different rule or a, a different way to try to grapple with things, and and the youth pastor wisely just says something. You know, well, well, so and so here. You know, this is this is important to them, and we want to help them, and so forth. Most of the time, you know, kids are going to go, yeah, that's great. Right. They're not going. They're not going to do the well. If they can do it, then I can do a thing. Kids are smarter than that, and I don't think that that youth pastors have to live in fear of. Of Of moving things around a bit to give these kids an opportunity to uh, engage,
1: I agree with that, and I have an example of that where my youngest son had been attending um youth group, and he you know he'd have to take his breaks, he'd have his hood up he was would it would appear like he was disengaged is how it appeared, but that was his coping mechanism. Well, the, the youth pastor was very fine with that and allowed for that accommodation and the different things. And what it did is one uh, Wednesday night, they were having testimonies. And now my son, who doesn't really talk a lot and who doesn't you know socialize a lot, he got up and he gave a testimony. Mm-hmm. And he started talking about his struggle with depression and anxiety. And the youth pastor let him speak in a raw manner that just it opened up the youth group
0: Good for him. in a
1: way that mm-hmm. others were then able to share where they were really at. They, the kids prayed for each other. It was a very beautiful evening. Mm-hmm. And had the youth pastor not been accommodating, not been understanding, n- not have been welcoming to my son, that wouldn't have happened.
0: Right. And that's that body of Christ at work. And that's where your son has something now that's so valuable to others that he wouldn't have had before correct and you know youth pastors your agenda is important and i know you want to have fun and you want to go to trout Lake camp and all this stuff but maybe let your kids talk let them share they've got a lot more wisdom than sometimes we give them credit for maybe get off that cycle of event after event after event and let your kids be who they are but i want to stop here we've got one minute left cherry God is good, though, through all of this, right?
1: He is so faithful. He is so amazing. His, You know, I've learned that being open-handed and believing that he is good regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the events, regardless of the diagnosis, regardless of the isolation and the difficulty, he is good. And I have learned that through experience.
0: Yeah I think you're an amazing woman and it takes a lot of courage to share your story and I really appreciate you doing that. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well Cherry's story may be familiar to you in other ways or maybe you felt uh, a little ping in your chest as you listened or maybe there's a friend of yours that's going through some of these things and maybe you're a parent who's just running out of hope. Well as we've just talked about there's always hope because God is a God of hope. God is a God of tomorrow, not yesterday. In Isaiah 41:10, the Bible tells us, "So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." God isn't talking to someone else, he's talking to you. And you may be in a situation where you lay in bed at night and you may experience stark terror because of what you've been through or what your kids are going through. You may experience deep grief because all of the memories come flooding back. You may be experiencing shame because you just don't know if you can ever deal with your past. But the promise here is real. What God is saying is, I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. And the the amazing thing about God is, when we come and have a relationship with him through our Lord Jesus Christ and through a relationship with Christ, we are washed clean. We are pure, and we are his child. And so there's nothing that's off his radar. And all of these beautiful children we've talked about are known by God. And so we need to walk with God so we can know them as well. I'm so glad you listened to Life Support. Man, this is so important, and I'm so glad that Five Stone Media is a partner of ours who does this on video form, and you can see it at 5 I want to thank Faith Radio for their their interest and support at faithradio.com, and Ridgewood Church is where I pastor, and you can look us up at myrwc.org slash life support. You can also catch me on Twitter at Pastor Paul J. Listen, there's always hope. I'm so glad you listened, and we'll catch you next time on Life Support.